Okay, friends, imagine starting your next race. You are at the start line, you feel strong, you feel confident, and you feel ready to tackle the race course in distance in front of you. You have the training, you have the fitness, and you have the endurance for your race. All right, now let's take a step back. Is this something that you want? Well, you can have it without personalized programming and without communication from a coach. Elevate Your Running beginner and intermediate standard plans are now available in the base, 5K, 10K, half, and marathon distances on elevateyourrunning.com slash forward slash work with us forward slash standard plans. Now these plans are constructed with the Elevate coaching philosophy and the proven workouts past athletes have ran to achieve results while running strong, woohoo, happy, woohoo, and confident, yes. Each plan contains a downloadable run terminology guide, nutrition and fueling guide, and a race day planner sheet. It's the pro coaching you want for less than a 12-pack of your favorite running gels. You can save 20% with code ELEVATE20 at checkout, and that's at elevateyourrunning.com forward slash work with us, forward slash standard plans. Now let's get to our episode today. I'm so excited. We have Megan in Featherstone, who is such a huge part of the running community. She is a sports nutritionist. She is a marathoner. She is going to be running Berlin here in a few weeks. And she's also a mom. She has a busy life. She has her own coaching, nutrition coaching practice. Um, So we had a wonderful conversation with her today and we hope you like it as well. Elevate Your Running Podcast, episode number 87. Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Austin Myers. I'm here with my co-host, Sarah Manderscheid, and a special guest, Megan Featherstone, who is going to provide some amazing insight for us today. We're so happy to have her on. Megan is a sports nutritionist, entrepreneur, athlete, wife, mom. She truly does it all. Megan, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join us. Thanks for having me. I always like to talk about nutrition. So, you know, any, anybody who wants to have me chat about it, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited to have you on, Megan. This is like a dream uh, interview for me. And right before we started recording, I was saying how much I appreciate training and fueling our bodies and training our gut. And we're really going to dive into a lot of really cool things surrounding marathon training and fueling. Um, So it's going to be a really great conversation. We're so excited to have you on. We have an hour, so we're going to get right to it. Um, I'd love to transition into just the, and I say just, the consistency around nutrition and athletes. And what does that look like? Like in training, we get to be as athletes super consistent with our easy days, our workouts, our long runs. Maybe it's our recovery tactics, it's our stretching, it's our hydration. How does nutrition fall into the consistency realm? And what kind of habits can be established when you do create uh, consistent nutrition habits? 
So honestly, what I see a lot is runners that are frustrated because they are consistent in everything that you just mentioned and they can't get their nutrition consistent. So I always have to kind of reframe that for them because if we think about it, like we have five to six runs a week, we have maybe two strength training a week, like that's easy to tick off, right? But we're eating seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 times a day, making food decisions constantly. So I always, I don't like to compare our consistency with nutrition to running and runners do that all the time. Like, why can't I just nail this? You know, because there's so much more to food and it's so in depth and it, it, you know, crosses borders of so many things we do in our lives. But because so many runners do have more of that consistent driven personality, sometimes if we can, like you said, the habits that they've created around their running, if we can tag nutrition into there. So I typically look at nutrition as like, daily supportive nutrition, like every day to day, like making sure that our bodies are fueled and healthy, but then performance nutrition on top of it, which really looks at before, during and after. So, you know, to your point, like they're stretching before. All right. Are we eating our graham crackers while we're stretching? Like how can we pair some like solid nutrition, just habits right along with what we already do before, during and after our running to just make sure that we're really supporting and giving our body the nutrition that it needs when it needs it to really get after, you know, whatever's on the calendar that day. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I love that you brought up the graham crackers because I feel like you have really taken the graham crackers to a whole new level. You've maybe injected some new energy into that food and or the food and um, and it's amazing. And so what kind of habits or what are some things that you see with athletes as they're getting into that consistent training schedule, getting into the habits? What are some like key maybe food items or food groups that they could start to add? Like you mentioned the graham crackers. I know you're big on shower shakes. Is there anything else that you would add in there to say, this is easy, this is fast, this is something you can do almost every day to kind of up-level your nutrition as an athlete? Yeah, and I think one of the things that I really try to do is to make sure that people are fueling with like an easy, fast, digestible carbohydrate like right before they go out for their run. So, you know, to our point, that could be graham crackers, it could be pretzels, it could be a bagel, it could be a Pop-Tart, you know, toast. There's, you know, the options are endless as far as that goes. So really trying to get people to grasp on to, I need to eat something before I run, period. And then when I'm doing bigger efforts, when I'm doing workouts, like doubling how much that we're eating as we go into that and really trying to get them to, you know, make it like second nature that that's what we're doing from there. So I think that's a habit that's really important. And then, you know, on the flip side is the recovery piece. So we're busy, right? And cramming a run into our crazy day is hard enough from a time perspective that often I see Mm -hmm. people skipping that recovery nutrition piece because they're busy. They jump right back into life. They're taking care of kids, family, work, dogs, you know, anything that they just aren't thinking about themselves anymore when they get back. So you know, as, as funny as the shower shake sounds, we always take a shower when we're done running, you know? So it's like, instead of skipping eating whatsoever, let's jumpstart that recovery process and take that shake with us to the shower. That's kind of where that came from to your point. Like how do we help people create these habits that are just second nature so that we're really supporting not only the fuel that we need while we're running, but then also the fuel we need to recover to be strong for next day's run. And Megan, can you kind of break down like why these these things are so important, like these cornerstone ideas of fueling both before and shortly after our runs with carbohydrates, protein, like in what ways does that support our body for not only the performance of that day, 
but also the performance that will, will follow and hopefully the recovery that will take place as well. So they've done a lot of research and I mean, runners, we're not regular people. We know that for a whole host of reasons, um, but our energy demands are so much greater as runners. And I think we take that for granted sometimes, especially if we've been running a long time or we're hanging out with people that run 20 or 30 miles more per week than us. This can't be much, but the, you know, the energy demands that our bodies have above and beyond daily nutrition is huge. So in order to keep up with that and to advance our training and to be able to recover, you know, nutrition is just key and understanding how we scale that. So a lot of times what we'll focus on is making sure that we're giving our body the energy it needs for the run, because if we're going into these runs depleted, if we don't have, you know, fast energy for our muscles, we're not going to gain the fitness from this training that we would have as a well-fueled athlete. So I always tell people, it's kind of like spinning your wheels, you know, coach gives you this great workout and you can't quite crush it because you were underfueled. So you left some fitness on the table. Whereas if you would have gone into that with eating something beforehand, maybe even scaling up nutrition the night before a big run, you're going to be able to crush those paces and gain more fitness so that you're able to advance this training, you know, and that's usually what the goal is for a lot of people. And then on the flip side for the recovery piece is if we're not depleting the energy that we have used while we're out there. So if we look at the whole day, right, like let's just use morning runs as an example, we dig ourselves into a really big energy deficit. And if we don't try to get ourselves out of that throughout the day, there's a whole host of health consequences that come along with it, let alone just not recovering and gaining fitness, you know? So I really try to get people to focus on that recovery nutrition piece, not only to recover from the work they just did, but also to keep our bodies healthy and resilient. I mean, there's nothing more sad than an injured runner. So like, what can we do from a nutrition standpoint to make sure that we're really supporting what we want our body to be doing on a weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, I've definitely felt like the difference between the days where you're truly rushed to get somewhere after your run and you don't fuel appropriately, as opposed to the days where you can really support yourself with that proper nutrition. Uh, we've talked a lot about carbohydrates so far. I would be interested to hear like, is every carbohydrate source knowing that we have the macronutrients of carbohydrate, protein, dietary fat, is every carbohydrate source as an endurance athlete created equal for training and recovery, or are there certain carbs that we should focus on consuming uh, more so in that pre- and post-workout window? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, we can kind of bucket their types of carbs into two as like a simple carb and a complex carb. So a simple carb would be like our candy, our energy gels, our chews, our sports drinks, things that are digested really, really quickly, our white products, right? So they're going to go into our stomach. Our stomach isn't going to have to do much with it to start digestion. It's going to hit our small intestine and be absorbed very quickly. Like a Morton gel is absorbed in like 12 minutes, right? Like simple, fast carbohydrates. So obviously those are the types of things that we want to be giving our body right before our run and then during a run when we need that fast energy. But then on the flip side, there's those complex carbohydrates that are, as we say, a little more complex. So what that looks like is typically it's like our whole grains, right? So like our quinoa, our wheat berries, any whole wheat products, tortillas, rice, crackers, all those types of things. Um, and what ends up happening is when that gets into our stomach and it empties into our small intestine, it can't absorb it yet. It has to break down that fiber and almost like open up that matrix and let that carbohydrate out of there. So it's a much slower process. It stays in our stomach longer. It's, it's absorbed more slowly. So 
it wouldn't be the best option to fuel that very fast run that we're about to do that we need energy instantaneously, but it might be perfect for post-run oatmeal that is going to stay with us longer and keep us full longer, manage our blood sugar better, all those things that we know about like healthy eating, quote unquote, right? It's all those things that are going to give us the nutrition we need, give us that sustained energy and leave us feeling good and less hungry until snack time, until lunch, right? Whereas if we were to use some of those simple carbohydrates um, in recovery, we might be really hungry again in an hour if it wasn't balanced with some protein and fat and things like that. So you know, I do think it's good to look at the timing and what we want, what what we're looking for in that energy that we're consuming. And maybe you're looking for a bag of Skittles in the afternoon and who cares if we're not going for a run, right? Like we can have that flexibility, mm-hmm. but you know, most of the time we're probably being fairly intentional with what type of card we want to put where to make sure that it's giving us what we're looking for from that meal. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge piece to training. If you're fueled well, you feel a lot stronger in your workouts, your easy days, you're recovering stronger, all the things. I know everyone is going to fall a little bit different on this scale, but for someone going into a workout or for a long run, like how many, roughly how many carbohydrates would you recommend for them? And could you give an example maybe on like how many graham crackers they would eat um, before going into a workout like this, just to give some context. So athletes really can wrap their their heads around what they should be eating. Cause something I see often, not just as an athlete, but as a running coach is the under fueling side mm-hmm. of things of like, but coach, I ate one cliff block and I'm like, Oh no, that's like one third of the pack. Like you need to be serving. eating a full pack. Yeah. Like every... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, graham crackers are an easy example of like scaling nutrition. So again, for like a morning runner, when you're getting up, like maybe it's just an easy run that's less than an hour, like no paces, no strides, nothing like two graham crackers is probably plenty, right? If we're heading right out the door, if we have to wait and get kids to school, then we might actually need a full breakfast. But if we're talking like right before, and then if it's a workout, we want to double that, right? So like four graham crackers before a workout. And then before a long run, we're going to go up to six, you know? So the same thing with toast, maybe a piece of toast, two pieces of toast, two pieces of toast with a banana. So we're looking at finding what sits in our stomach well and what works for us, because ultimately we're going to need to do that before race day. So it's kind of a practice, right? And then sure, you can switch it up. But again, I see runners as creatures of habits a lot. And when we find what works, we're just going to repeat it. So let's figure out how we're going to scale that to make sure that we're giving our body more energy before some of those bigger efforts. I absolutely love that. And Um, This spring, I had the pleasure of running the Boston Marathon with um, some really great people, some athletes that I coached, um, some friends, and one of my really good friends, Mary Lee, we're sitting in Athletes Village, and she is just eating graham crackers all morning. Yes. All morning. She's an entire package of graham crackers. And I have to say, for anyone who might be hesitant to lean into this strategy, she ran an incredible race. She ran so strong. She ran a 315. She absolutely crushed it. And I think it's like the power of carbohydrates, the power of energy, power of fueling your body, and also training it to really know what it can take in and know what you can do on race day. Cause that's going to be a huge confidence booster. I think for all athletes, um, I do want to jump into the marathon distance. We're 
in fall race season right now. We have Berlin, Chicago, New York coming up. We have a lot of other marathons happening. CIM is later this year. Indy that Austin's running is at the end of October. I know this can also apply to our half marathon athletes. I don't want to leave them out um, in this conversation, but can you kind of go through like the right kind of carbohydrate intake the days before a marathon. So typically we call that like the carbo loading. Um, one, do you believe in that? And two, like how would you go about that if you do on how to structure it maybe two to three days before your, your race? So this is going to come with a little bit of a story. So <laughs> when I started, when I became a sports dietitian, which I've been a sports dietitian for like eight years now, but I didn't start Featherstone Nutrition until my daughter was born. I was on maternity leave with her. She's six now, but I've only been doing this full time for two years. So rewind like three years and um, we started the podcast and I was doing like both gigs and, you know, moving forward. And I'm like a firm believer in a carb load, like firm believer. I mean, that I feel like as soon as I started being successful at the marathon distance was when I started carb loading, like it's a game changer. And I was blown away at the lack of runners who were doing it. Like no one was carb loading three years ago. And I was just like, what is wrong with people to be completely transparent? I was like, why are people not carb loading? And then as like, I, you know, kind of built my following and, you know, started to work with runners. I was like, people are scared to death. They don't understand how much this can benefit them. They're scared to eat that many carbs before such a big performance, right? They're like, how am I going to feel? And I'm like, oh, we need to tackle this. So I created a carb load calculator so people can get customized numbers of what they should do and a free guide of how they could do it. Because I was like, I don't even want to make any money off this. I just want people to be carb loaded and to be successful on race day and to feel how much better that final 10K can feel if you're actually carb loaded. So all that to answer your question of, yes, I'm a firm believer in carb loading. And I think everybody should be carb loaded before a marathon distance or longer and Half marathon too. I always carb load for one day. And if our goal time is over 140, a full carb load might be great for most people. So, you know, for your half marathoners listening, like it's still a great strategy for that distance as well. And really it goes back to, we have finite storage for carbohydrates in our body. Mm -hmm. We know we can store fat, right? That's not a question. Mm -hmm. But as far as carbs go, we can only store about 12 to 14 miles worth of carbohydrates in our muscles. So what are we going to do for the rest, right? So what ends up happening is people are taking gels throughout their race, or maybe they're waiting to take it till they feel like they need it. And then all of a sudden that last 10 K, maybe 10 miles hits and they're out of carbohydrates and carbohydrates are a fast fuel. Like when our carbs are gone, our pace is tank. So we can only get so many gels in while we're out there. So the whole time we want to be relying on both. We want to be pulling from our glycogen stores for carbs. We want to be relying on those gels or chews or drinks that we're taking. And we never want to run out quite run out either until we're across that finish line so we can maintain those paces we trained so hard to be able to maintain and truthfully nutrition is is the basis for making sure that you can hold that you know throughout a race absolutely i've had races where i haven't carbo load hello circa 2019 <laughs> and i've had marathons where i've nailed it and it is completely different, not just in the feeling of the pace when you're running that last 10 K, but I also feel like in the recovery process afterwards, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel your body doesn't feel like it's just gone like through the ringer, right? It just feels a little bit better to be able mm -hmm. to start the recovery process faster. Mm -hmm. So I love that so much. Does a three hour marathon marathoner feel differently than like a four hour marathoner and like Let's break this down to the half marathon team. Like, 
Does a sub 90 minute half marathoner feel the same way as a two or two and a half hour um, half marathoner? What does that look like? So what I look at, like if I'm guiding someone and helping them create like a race day fuel plan is what is our intensity? I don't care about pace to be completely honest with you, because when we look at, at racing nutrition guidelines, it's by the hour across the board for everyone. So I want to know your intensity, right? Because the higher intensity we're at, the more carbohydrates we're going to burn. So regardless of what pace that is for an individual athlete, what my, typically what I, what I, how I try to phrase it is if we're going out there to run as hard and as fast as our body is capable of right now, we, the fueling is the same hour to hour, no matter how many hours we are out there. Um, and I think that's a good thing to remember. I often have people be like, oh, I used to be really fast. I'm not anymore. So I probably shouldn't fuel like I used to. And I'm like, well, is your effort the same? Well, yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, then we need to feel the same. It's just our fitness isn't quite where maybe it was before, right? Or, you know, I have some people coming to me that are like, I'm hoping to break five hours in the marathon this is like a huge deal for me. Like, you know, this is a huge account. And so I'm like, their intensity is going to be the same as someone trying to break three hours, you know? So we got to fuel that for the intensity of with which we want to. And like I said, sports nutrition guidelines look at carbs per hour during endurance activity. So, you know, it's, it's, it's looking at the intensity and then just like breaking it up by hour, regardless of how many hours someone's out there. I love that you, you made it relative because I think like we cannot look at performance or or any of like the guidelines that we discuss on this podcast for just like really enjoying your running and and succeeding over time without putting it on a relative scale for people um one thing i would be interested in is you were mentioning fueling per hour how can an athlete really better understand how much fuel specifically carbohydrates they should be taking in on an hourly basis in these efforts. I know this is something that I continue to struggle with as I'm preparing for another marathon. And, you know, my performance is there until it's not. And I can see the difference between the days where I'm very disciplined and consistent with my fueling as opposed to when I'm not. And I know if I don't truly dial it into specific numbers and things that I want to hit on race day in the same way that I want to hit specific paces. I want to be able to consume a specific amount of carbohydrates or calories on an hourly basis. So my question selfishly is like, how can I better figure out what I need to be intaking on that hourly basis? Yeah. And that's a great question. And if we like take a step back from it, research has come a long way with supporting endurance performance the recommendations used to be like 30 grams of carbs an hour. Now we have research to show we can take up to 120 grams of carbs an hour. So if we're really looking at the research, that is a wide range of grams of carbs per hour, right? 30 to 120, like what do we even do with this information? So typically where I try to get people to start is to start to at 50 grams of carbs per hour, or the goal would be to get there by race day. Maybe we start a little lower and work up to it, but really trying to get people to get at least 50 grams of carbs an hour, which for most people breaks down to about a gel every 30 minutes. Obviously, some gels have a little bit less carbohydrate. And then I try to use, and if you're taking an electrolyte drink that has some sugar, it's like a bonus on top of there because we know we can use a lot more than 50 grams of carbs an hour. But I think that's the place that we try to master first. And then once I have athletes mastering like 50 grams of carbs an hour, 
and they're looking to increase their performance and they're like, my, my gut can tolerate more, I know it can, then we start to kind of step it up to like 60 or 70 grams of carbs an hour. Rumor has it when Kipchoge broke two hours that he took in 110 grams of carbs an hour. So he was, you know, obviously burning a lot more energy per hour than any of us. So he's a little bit of an outlier. But, um, you know, that's kind of where I like to start. Um, so it would just be looking at the type of gel you use to see how many grams of carbs are in it. And then figuring out, like, do I need that every 20 minutes? Do I need it every 30 minutes? And then to your point, Austin, is practicing that in training. So our gut's not going to know what to do that with that immediately, right? So we need to make sure that all these long runs we're practicing exactly like we're going to execute on race day. Um, and that was something I fought people a lot in the beginning about too. Like they're expensive. I don't want to fuel. Can I spread them out more? And I'm like, when we're in a marathon training block, those long runs need fuel, right? Like if we're in between and we're just doing like an easy 14 for fun, fine, spread them out, you know? But like when we have marathon pace in a long run, when we are within a marathon training cycle, like every week, let's make sure that we're nailing how we are going to do that on race day. And I didn't always used to do it either. I see Austin smirking over there, but like it is such a game changer mentally and physically your mental like game is is tighter so i was wearing this um blood sugar monitor so i was like playing with my nutrition on a long run to see what would happen and it was wild because i intentionally left off my last gel one time and when i started feeling awful my legs felt heavy i was doubtful i didn't want to do it anymore my blood sugar was like like tanking right and then when i took on the next week i was like all right i'll do it like i'm supposed to this week i felt fine and my blood sugar was nice and high straight across right so like there's data to prove that it is just such a game changer to do it um so did I convince you, Austin? Are you going to start feeling like a boss? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to laugh <laughs> yeah. a little bit to myself when you mentioned uh, the cost of the gels. And it's amazing the yeah. places that your mind goes in these long runs, especially when you're like, you know, four to five miles left and, and you're starting to, to feel like you're going to get through it and it's going to be a successful training session. And you're like, well, I can also save $4 by not taking my last gel. Um, but, but truly it is, it's a matter of practicing. Now, one of the things that I know, um, can definitely get the best of us is just like the, the issues of, of, you know, your digestive system in terms of Mm -hmm. intaking, especially in these higher effort days. It's one thing to really stay on top of your nutrition on an easier long run where the effort's just lower. But then when you start to really, you know, elevate the performance and and train for what race day is going to feel like, I know a lot of people, myself included, again, can have GI issues. Um, You know, obviously, there is the strategy and the importance of trying different gels, different sources of fuel, and just trying to hit those numbers that you were mentioning for carbohydrates per hour. Uh, what are some other strategies or just like some some tips that you may have for people who struggle with GI issues? Yeah, so this is super common, right? And I think especially in the heat. So we see that GI issues are much more likely to be happening in the heat. And most of that is because if we think about it, like our blood flow is preferentially going to our muscles and going to our skin to cool our bodies off, right? So we don't have as much blood flow to our GI tract when we're running hard. So what that means is that that we have a little bit of an insult to our GI tract, which can cause issues. So the, the factors that kind of go into that is 
what would make that situation worse. So the one thing that makes that situation the worst is dehydration. So if we're dehydrated, we have even less blood flow to our GI tract to digest those gels. So that's kind of the first thing I typically check off with people is making sure that we're, we go into the run well hydrated and then during the run, we're not getting excessively dehydrated, right? We're all going to end dehydrated, but like not to the point that it's impacting all of this. So typically what I'll have people do that have GI issues, I'll have them take in more sodium and like 24 or 30 extra ounces of fluid the night before a long run, and then scale up the amount of sodium they're getting during their long run. So a lot of the more um, popular gels now don't have much sodium in them. So let's make sure we're carrying an electrolyte drink with us that has some sodium in it and making sure we're refilling it. So kind of sodium is the first thing I check off, um, both before the run and during the run, and then fluid with when there's GI issues. And then the other thing is kind of back to our conversation on like making sure we're eating healthy on a daily basis, quote unquote, you know, some people are just getting way too much fiber. So when we have that insult to our GI tract, there's just way too much left in there to cause issues. So sometimes it's being like, okay, let's not eat a salad for lunch the day before our long run. So really kind of scaling back some of that roughage in our nutrition the day before a long run. Um, and then the other thing that can really increase GI issues is underfueling. So if somebody, whether intentional or not, is not getting enough nutrition on a daily basis or is going into their run fasted, the likelihood of GI issues is also going to be higher. So, you know, those are just three examples, but there's a million things that we can kind of tick through to try to see, like, what can we throw in this equation to try to minimize the chance that we're making this situation worse and causing GI issues while we're out there? Yeah, and GI issues can definitely come from having, you know, decreased electrolytes, right? Being mm -hmm. dehydrated out there. It's something that's very, very common right now, especially as we're training for fall marathons or we're in that long run distance. Um, everyone is just so different when it comes to how much salt they need and how much they need to consume during the long runs and to also kind of mimic on race day. And individual needs are going to change kind of based on like the weather and the distance that they're training for. But what kind of is your recommendation when it comes to salt intake for athletes? Um, like how often should they be taking it during a long run, um, maybe during a race and how much? Um, the other thing that I've seen a lot as a coach is the cramping aspect that can come in the later parts of a race. So I feel like salt intake and proper salt intake can kind of help minimize that too. Mm -hmm. So how much should athletes be taking and how often? Yeah. And like you said, it's so individualized because there's two factors there. There's one, there's our sweat rate, right? They're, these are both genetic. We can't change them. So there's the sweat rate and then the sweat composition. So, you know, in the summer, our sweat rate, we could be losing two liters, which would be four pounds on the scale an hour while we're out there. I mean, that's insane. And then once it cools down, maybe we're losing like eight ounces. So it can be very dramatic. So what we would need to do in the heat can be very different than what we would do when it's cooler out. Um, and then the sweat composition. So each of us genetically has a certain amount of sodium in the sweat that we're losing. So that's obviously a, a change as well. Some people don't lose much sodium and some people lose an astronomical amount of sodium. So obviously mm -hmm. The people that are really suffering from cramping and GI issues and a ton of stuff related to sodium, I have them taking like a thousand milligrams of sodium an hour in the heat, whereas the rest of us might be able to get away with like 400 milligrams of sodium an hour in the heat. And then maybe on race day, we're okay with 200 milligrams of sodium an hour, right? So, you know, it's going to change a little bit depending on the weather. But what I would say is we have so many options and ways to play with this sodium piece. So we have gels. 
that are higher in sodium. So like the Huma Plus, the Power Bar, uh, the Hydro Gel, um, Never Second, they all have like over 200 milligrams of sodium. So like you could start with something like that. We could also carry a high sodium electrolyte drink. So like Scratch or Tailwind, or if we need like the big guns like Scratch Wellness or LMNT, and then there's also salt pills. So I have some people that are like, I like a low sodium gel and I love water. What should I do? And I'm like, well, we have salt pills, but then you have to take a pill, right? So it's an option. It's like each, each athlete's probably going to choose a different way to meet those sodium needs. It could be high sodium gel, high sodium sports drink, or a salt tabs, right? So it's like the juggle of all of that, like what works best for you just to make sure that you're getting enough. For people who are heavier sweaters, I'll try to like get them to take like 600 milligrams of sodium an hour when they're out there. If somebody's really trying to look at their labels and figure out if they're getting enough. Um, and then, like I said, some people need even more than that. And then most people are probably okay with, with less, but we certainly need some. We certainly need some while we're out there. Absolutely. I've seen so many athletes go through the course of running 26.2 miles, even 13.1 in a really hot environment, and they're not taking in the electrolytes and they wonder why they like teeter off at the end. Um, and the electrolytes are such a huge piece to training. I feel like it's something that isn't talked about too, maybe as often as maybe it should. Um, but one of the electrolytes that I think we both love is scratch. I'm pretty sure you're, you're yep. a scratch girl <laughs> and love the hyperhydration. I feel like if you're someone who is maybe a heavier sweater and you need to have more replacement, um, the hyperhydration is awesome. And I think it has about a thousand milligrams of sodium. Um, and it's one of the best out there. So it's a great thing to have in your bottle. I also feel like it's one of those things where if you're going to have a bottle, especially during a race, why not add the electrolytes? Because it has calories, it has carbohydrates, mm -hmm. it has the electrolytes, and you kind of get that balance all in one. Um, do you feel like, or what are the reasons that for the athletes who are running and maybe they aren't hydrating well, they are getting headaches and nausea later in the day is does that come from like a salt imbalance and electrolyte imbalance is that overhydration is that an underfueling issue mm -hmm. what typically comes from that yeah and that's a good question those are all things i would like you know check through again as we're talking trying to find the cause of something but typically if we are crazy nauseated GI issues after a run it's usually that we need some sodium so i'll tell people to like eat some really salty pretzels Usually if we're that nauseated, we can't like drink a bunch or we feel even worse. So if we eat the salty pretzels first, usually that triggers our thirst. So then we can drink some water. So it's like, you know, we're feeling a little better then. And usually that calms down people's nausea really quickly. Um, and then that headache later in the day, most of the time is dehydration. Sometimes, you know, some people run real tensed and so it's like a tension headache, right? So it could be nothing related to nutrition, but most of the time it is hydration. Um, or then like a fatigue slump or something is usually lack of nutrition because some people, the hormones we kick out during a long run decrease appetite. Not everybody, but some people just don't feel hungry after a long run. So if we're like, oh, well, guess I don't need to eat and don't really have any hunger cues to remind us, um, you know, we can find ourselves just exhausted or feeling horrible the next day. Like I can't possibly run a recovery run today. You know, all of that would probably be lack of fuel. Yeah. That's so interesting. And it's something that 
you know, as we talk about this and as our listeners are listening to it, like maybe pause the episode and think back to your last few weeks of training and how did you show up? Were you exhausted? Did you have the headache? Were you mm-hmm. nauseous? Did you crush it? Did you, you know, just absolutely train your gut really well and, and did all the right things? Note that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a great way to kind of like learn as you're training, right? And um, and implement for weeks to come so you can crush your fall race. And I would um, add to that too. Like, I can't tell you the number of people who were like, I thought I was supposed to be wrecked after a long run. I thought I just needed to clear my <laughs> calendar. I thought I just couldn't hang out with my kids the rest of the day. I just couldn't make plans on long run days. And then when I get them fueled well and hydrated, they're like, holy crap, I can function the rest of the day. I'm like, shocking, right? So I think, you know, as you're asking people to pause and think, if you're one of those people who like literally can't function the rest of the day, we can change that with nutrition and hydration. Yeah, it's wild. So I Mm -hmm. worked with a registered dietitian uh, during the pandemic, ironically, and I thought it was a great way to work on what I needed to work on as an athlete because I knew something was off. I just didn't feel good. And Mm -hmm. I was that typical athlete that wasn't eating before going out for any run. And I wasn't really fueling well after the run. And I have to say that when you start to create those habits and you start to bookend your workouts, your long runs, you're starting an easy run with fuel, Mm -hmm. you're like unstoppable for the rest of the day. So it's a great... (laughs) healing and it really is a good motivator to like continue to do it um so we've talked about carbohydrates we've talked about um electrolytes we've talked about gels we could do all the right things right and still sometimes we hit the wall in the marathon but maybe we didn't do something right during the race what happens to our bodies when we hit that quote-unquote wall in the marathon why does it happen And what can we do to prevent it from happening next time? So since Sarah is your coach or you have a great coach, you're pacing very well, right? Sometimes we hit the wall because we go out too hot, but we haven't done that because we have a great plan from Sarah. Um, So we're assuming that that wall hit is nutritional then, right? If it's not that we didn't pace it right or that we weren't fit enough for it, which, you know, we're assuming all those factors are right, then it was, it was nutritional. So what ends up happening is when we run out of carbohydrate stores and have to use fat for fuel, our pace slows down. So carbohydrates are a very fast fuel. So we can turn those into energy and crank out a lot of energy from each carb that heads into our energy cycle, whereas fat doesn't spit out quite as much energy and it's a much slower process. It's like, a Ferrari versus a dump truck, right? Like we just can't keep up when we're trying to use fat for fuel at those paces. So we hit a quote unquote wall. And a lot of times with that comes like a mental wall as well. So our brain wants carbs. It's the preferred fuel source of our brain. So if our brain is not getting carbs, our muscles aren't getting carbs, we get kind of pathetic too. So we, we're kind of like, oh, I can't do this. Or when negative thoughts creep in, or I'm never doing this again. You know, all of those types of things. Some people get emotional and start crying out there, right? I've heard clients be like, I called my mom crying at mile 20, you know? So all of that it could, are symptoms of hitting this wall. And really it's just that, like we talked about at the beginning, those carb load stores, those glycogen stores, when mm-hmm. those are exhausted, when they are gone, when we've burned through all of them, you know, and we haven't taken enough gels, we just have nothing left. And usually at that point, like taking a gel sounds awful. So maybe that would f- help a little bit if we hit the wall. If anybody hit the, hits the wall, you know, let's try to get a gel down. But the best way to avoid this is two things. 
One, carb loading. For three full days, eight grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight, you know, which is anywhere from 350 to 600 grams of carbs for most people per day times three days leading into your race, which sounds crazy to some people, but right, maybe we practice for a day before a long run or a half marathon Mm -hmm. in the build to make sure we're comfortable with it before we do it for three days. And then the second piece is fueling early and often. Take a gel at the start line 10 minutes before the race starts and then at least every 30 minutes after that and maybe even sooner, right? If you're training to do every 20 or 25, please do that instead. But like at least every 30 minutes until the finish line or until our body's like, you can't take anymore because we know sometimes with perceived exertion through the roof, that last gel is difficult. And if that hits, you fueled early, you fueled often, you were fully carb load, you have plenty of energy to get across that finish line strong. So those are really the two keys to making sure that we do not hit that wall so that the whole time we're running, we're pulling a little bit of energy from glycogen and a little bit of energy from the carbs we're taking from our gels very evenly throughout. So neither is ever completely gone. Now, again, if something happens and our stomach turns and we can't take gels, you know, we hope we have enough carb stores. So there's always, you know, these little outliers, but you know, in the perfect world, we would have both of those available until the end. And that's usually the races that we really crush the finish on. Let's talk a little bit about the practicality of handling all of this fuel um, <laughs> as we race. What are some of the tips, uh, maybe things that have worked for you and your experience of like how to carry the needed gels, potentially um, the water and, and hydration mix, like during the race and obviously as we've mentioned with pretty much everything um we should be practicing this in our training as well um so being that we are in this space where people are peaking for their fall races like what can we do over the next few weeks to ensure that we're comfortable carrying this fuel and how are we going to do that on race day yeah, you're asking the wrong person because I'm 5'11 and have like go-go gadget arms. So I put them in my sports bra <laughs> pocket where the phone's supposed to go. I shove four gels in there, which is a lot. But everybody's like, Megan, our arms aren't as long as yours. <laughs> yeah, so I know that's probably not a good tip for other people. But practicing, finding the shorts that have the most pockets and practicing with them. Making sure you like those shorts is huge, right? Um, also, I always carry a handheld for the beginning of my races. So I'm not good at the table. I like scratch. It's not served at any of the races. Those cups are hard Mm -hmm. to drink out of. So I always start with a 20-ounce bottle that has two gels in it, scratch in it, and then depending on the weather, I'll either refill that or I chuck it when it's gone and just use water and then have my other four gels in the back. Um, So, you know, I think, but again, practice with that, right? That's the handheld I train with the whole time, and then I toss it and buy a new one for the next training cycle. So um, I think that can be really helpful. The other is fun. I actually just posted about this on Instagram today and there's people like rolling in all the comments about like where they carry theirs and stuff. But like a lot of people have like a waistband. Uh, A lot of people were saying they um, hook them with safety pins to the inside, right? Not so they're flapping like a hula skirt, but like if there's not enough pockets, Mm -hmm. they'll just like safety pin it and tuck it into the waist of the shorts. Um, If you start with arm sleeves on, put one down each arm sleeve and use those first. I also will always keep my two caffeinated gels somewhere else. So it's not like Russian roulette, which one am I going to pull this time? Is it the right one? You know, Um, and I always start with one in my hand too, because you're going to take it, you know, pretty quick. So I just kind of balance it out and there's a million ways, but again, like you said, you really want to make sure we're practicing it um, and are very confident because, I mean, we're going to stress about the weather on race day. We're going to stress about whether we're going to get sick. Let's not have nutrition be a stressor. Let's make sure it's like dialed in, buttoned up, and it's exactly what we've been practicing and we're just ready for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, let's transition a little bit to a different macronutrient that's extremely important for us as athletes, and that is protein. Um, just give us, you know, the basic level of like, why do we need protein? Why is it so important for our recovery and ultimately our performance? So we talked about how we can store carbs as glycogen. We all know where we can store fat, but we actually don't store protein. So that's kind of the basis of understanding like how we need to incorporate protein into our nutrition is that we don't have a storage form of protein to pull from. So if we break down our muscles out there running, we have to give our body that protein back to do the recovery because the only place we have protein is our muscles. So we got to break those down to recover them. That doesn't make sense, right? So when we look at protein, I have people view it a little bit differently than fat and carbs because Protein is really important that we're nailing the right quantity for us at each meal. So three discrete times a day, we want to try to nail a specific amount of protein to give our body what it needs when it needs it to recover, to keep that lean muscle mass while we're training. So, you know, rather than like being like, I need 100 grams of protein today, I'd rather somebody be like, I need 30 grams of protein per meal. Like that's where we're really going to make sure that we're maintaining lean body mass while we're training. Or if we're the goal is to put on lean body mass, like that's how we would have to do it is really the timing of protein is very different from the timing of other things that we eat. I mean, obviously we're putting carbs and protein with or carbs and fat with our protein. But like, that's the one thing that I really try to get people to focus on adequacy at each meal. Um, to make sure that we're getting enough on a daily basis. And for most people, it's like 20 to 40 grams a meal. It's based on body size, right? Obviously, the bigger we are, the more muscle we have. So, you know, me as a 5'11 runner needs more protein than a five foot runner, you know. Um, men, obviously, are a little bigger. So most of them need on the higher end of that, maybe even a little more. Um, so, you know, sometimes that's a real eye opener for people to focus on that. And then protein keeps us fuller longer than carbs or fat. So when people come to me and they're like, I'm starving all the time when I'm training, you know, there's a really good research to show that that breakfast meal, if we hit our protein and we have those complex carbs, it's actually going to help us downstream with appetite. So if somebody's like constantly eating more than they want to eat in the afternoons or after dinner, instead of beating our head against a wall and being like, just don't do it, it's actually if we look earlier in the day and make sure we're getting enough protein and those complex carbohydrates, it's actually easier and we have less of an appetite at night so that we don't even want to eat everything in the cupboard at 4 p.m., you know? So um, protein can be like a really good tool for both body composition and helping with appetite um, if we structure it right at each meal. Are there any considerations that people need to have in their protein choices like are there any that you specifically recommend for endurance athletes or is that really just an individualized approach? For me, it's a personal preference. So a lot of people are more plant-based. Some people, dairy hurts their stomach, you know, so there's little things like that that um, take some of the options away, right? But like as far as that goes, you know, I'm, I'm open as far as what protein works. Um, Sometimes as I'm telling people to scale up carbs and scale up protein, they're like, Megan, I'm eating so much. So like I will have the conversation of let's make sure that the carbs and the protein we're scaling up or don't have a ton of fat too, right? Because then we're scaling fat up, not on purpose as well. So sometimes I will say like, let's make sure like some of our protein is like a leaner cut of protein if, you know, um, that's a concern at all. But, you know, as far as it goes, you know, meat, fish, dairy, um, plant-based stuff, all that is fine with me. It just kind of depends on, you know, what the athlete wants to eat. 
Gotcha. And and you mentioned fat. I feel like we should probably mention that as as the other you know macronutrient. Um, you know what what role does that play? I'm you know I know it it has an important role in in hormone function and things like that. So what are the considerations that athletes should have around their fat, knowing that carbohydrates and protein are such a big focus for us? Mm-hmm. Where does fat come into play there? Yeah. And like you said, it's super important. Like we know for a fact, if we don't get enough fat, our hormone production is really crummy. You know, the fat-free diet craze of the 90s proved us that, right? And then we had the swing of like trying to convince people fat was okay. But I've seen a swing in the other direction that honestly, I typically don't have to really discuss fat with my athletes anymore. Like they're all getting enough because fat comes along with a lot of the carbs and the protein we're already eating. So, I mean, I could count on one hand the number of people I've had to be very prescriptive with, with fat and making sure we're getting enough and adding it in here. Um, Honestly, what I typically see is we have to scale back the fat to have room to scale up some of the other stuff these days. Like if you think about it, if you're going and building like, let's just Chipotle bowl, right? And you want to put cheese, guacamole, some dressing, and um, sour cream on it. Like, that's four fats, right? So sometimes I'm like, how about we choose two, and then we get extra rice, you know? So sometimes it's, like, just rebuilding and, like, putting those scales and dials in different areas to just make sure that our body's getting what it needs um, and not too much of something. Um, So it's, it's interesting to see the swings that fat has taken, right? It was, like, so bad, don't eat enough. And then it was, oh, we should eat as fat. And now it's like, let's find a middle ground. (laughs) So... I kind of see that reflected in in runners as, you know, we're all just the general public as well. (laughs) Yeah, I love the Chipotle bowl example. And I have to laugh because in my last taper, I think it was race week for Boston. I went there and I got a burrito bowl and I I sat down and I looked at it. I'm like, but I'm running a race on Monday and I need more rice. Like this is like so small. (laughs) I need double the rice. Double the rice, Um, yeah. Yeah, double the rice. Um, you know, meal prepping is such a thing, right? With everyone, whether you're an athlete, you have a family, you have a busy life. It feels like if you want to get in the right types of foods for your lifestyle, meal prepping is kind of the way, but it's also something that does take up a lot of time. It can be a lot of energy. So for our athletes who maybe it's someone heavy in training and that's relative, right? Heavy in training for mm-hmm. what they're doing. What is like a quick and easy meal that kind of hits all the macros needed? Um, and it doesn't take a ton of time in the kitchen. Yeah. And I mean, I built my platform on that to be completely transparent. Like I'm like, we've got to make it easy for people to eat delicious food that's cooked fast. So I always put up a bunch of recipes on my website. And yeah. I would say one of the most popular ones recently is it's a sesame chicken. You literally just get ground chicken. Some people use turkey or bison, whatever's in their fridge. And you literally cook it in the stove. And, you know, it takes, what, like 10 minutes maybe while you're steaming some broccoli or even use frozen broccoli. And then you, you know, I often use like the rice that's even already cooked. <laughs> like sometimes I won't even like spend the half hour to cook the rice. Um, and then you make the yeah. sauce in the microwave in two minutes. So you can literally have dinner on the table in 10 or 15 minutes. And it's been a family pleaser for a lot of people, you know. So I think 
I, I'm very sensitive to the fact that like we have very limited time to do this right and we need to make it really easy for people and really delicious for the whole family. So, you know, I also hear, I work with a lot of females and it's like, well, I can't be doing this for me and then nobody else will eat it. And, you know, so if it's something the whole family likes, I always see in their food logs, they're like, this was a win. Everybody ate it, but now I don't have leftovers, <laughs> you know? So um, I think there's a ton of those ideas on my website, but even like just hanging on to pasta and sauce and frozen veggies and frozen meatballs like we can do fast things like that to throw things together just always having things on hand for a turkey sandwich you know like I'm a huge fan of eggs and toast when I don't have enough time I'm making toast and eggs like got my protein got my carbs move on you know so I always have like cooked lentil pasta in the fridge and I can just eat some pasta and parmesan cheese real fast you know and if that's got the protein and some of the other micronutrients in it that just white pasta wouldn't I wouldn't eat that before a long run but like you know just things like that that just make it super fast and easy to get what we need love it yeah I mean it's it's really amazing like I think we overlook far too often the energy that can be expended by just making these decisions And like having to decide and then obviously put into action the creation of the food that Mm -hmm. on top of training, on top of everything else we have going on in our lives, it Mm -hmm. becomes impossible if we don't simplify things, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Right. We don't need to make it too hard. Like it can be super easy. Like sometimes I'll have people like I've never meal prepped. I think it, I, I can't imagine being in the in the kitchen all day Sunday. Like I want things that are fast to put together and we have some leftovers. So I don't know, maybe someone would call that meal prep. But um, and a lot of my athletes, they make like two things a week and everything else is quick, fast, easy, convenient. So they have like, mm-hmm. I don't know, six or seven meals a week that are made out of those two recipes. And then everything else is just super easy, you know, and that's that's doable if the recipe takes 20 minutes, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's realistic to really you make a home-cooked meal every night like some of us grew up on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, Megan, we, we thank you so much. Like This has been extremely insightful for me currently in, in a prep for a marathon, so I know it has been for so many others as well. Uh, Sarah included, where can our audience access all the information um, that you put out on a consistent basis? So I'm on Instagram or I have a website and they're both just Featherstone Nutrition. So it's FeatherstoneNutrition.com. And then on Instagram, it's Featherstone Nutrition. And we also have a podcast, Fuel for the Soul, where we talk a lot about um, all of this. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That's well, Thank you so much. This is a, a ton of fun. And again, like I said, so insightful and, and just so easily um, practical for people to put into place mm-hmm. and, and truly um, up level not only their performance but also just their their livelihood around training absolutely absolutely fuel up our daily life well so that we can crush training crush life be happy humans healthy humans that's all we want right <laughs> that's right thank you megan so much it was such a joy to have you on today You're and welcome. have a great day you do